Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, joined as always by Steffi Haynes, and today we'll look back at UFC 277, plus celebrate the cancellation of Jake Paul's next fight, or at least I will. And uh, we'll have some other things to talk about, but before we get into that, Steffi, how's it going? We're in August already. I know. My birthday's at the end of the month, and I am not looking forward to another year flying by jesus christ i need the i need this train to slow down a little bit okay uh, <laughs> how you doing well the heat wave's over i mean oh, at least good. for the next few days so uh, a whole week of 95 plus I, I'm, i've dealt with it before i lived in vegas for a few years but you know i when you're dealing with it as a kid, it feels differently than when you deal with it as an adult. And you don't normally get heat waves like this out in this part of the country. It's a record. We've never had like a, a week of 95 plus. We've had heat waves that last four or five days, but it was absolutely brutal. I mean, the plus side is I had no reason to put on a shirt the whole week. So uh, <laughs> at least I had that going. But, um, you know, years flying by. August also means that football season is around the corner, which means I'm going to be really, really busy covering both MMA and boxing as well as a very, very bad Seahawks team. Uh, so we'll see which one makes me less miserable over the next few months. Um, anyway, let's get to UFC 277 and the main events. Amanda Nunes just narrowly, narrowly defeating Juliana Pena. <laughs> It was a very, very, very close fight. Nunes had to work for this, no doubt about it. I mean, Pena knocked down several times, but it really could have gone either way. I mean, Nunes might have almost submitted her, almost knocked her out. But based on the commentary, that this fight really was just a nail-biter the entire way. Um, look, the performance itself, I think it's safe to say that the Nunes from the first fight I, I, it, it was legit that she clearly wasn't 100%, and she may, might not have taken that fight seriously in addition to all the other issues she had physically. But the rematch was more how I thought that the fight, the first fight would have gone. It was comfortable, uh, other than the armbar in the fourth round. But, God, you know, the, the, all the stuff I said in the, in the last few sentences, it is a direct shot at the obnoxiously bad commentary. And I'm normally good with DC on the mic, but him and Rogan together cannot work. No. Cormier with literally anybody else is fine, but him and Rogan bring out the absolute worst in each other. I would happily put this crazy fighter booth commentary to bed if it meant that we could get rid of DC and Rogan in the same booth. I would trade the great, great Paul Felder and the amazing Michael Bisping I would let them go to have professional commentary that didn't involve Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan in the same booth. Daniel Cormier and Michael Bisping, great. Daniel Cormier and Paul Felder, great. Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz, believe it or not, is is all right. But Daniel Cormier and Joe Rogan, eh, eh. It, it was just so bad. It was unbelievably bad that you would have thought that Pena was was uh, going to get a round or two or that she was going to finish it at any moment. Now, I want to praise Pena 
for her incredible durability because we've seen Nunez put away so many people with, with that much punishment. Um, there's no denying that Pena is, even in a sport filled with tough fighters, extremely difficult to, mm-hmm. to, to finish, especially with strikes. She's, I don't think she's ever been knocked out in her UFC career. No, she hasn't. She's only lost by submission before this. But uh, no, uh, she I mean, has, she has one uh, finish, I believe it was due to strikes. I think it was a doctor stoppage or something along those lines way back in 2009. So that's, yeah, that's very, very early in her career. But man, my goodness, you, you can only get so much credit for taking a beating. I mean, that's what was happening. They, they, they were going on and on about her guard and everything else and suggesting that Nunes was afraid to grapple with Pena. And that was insulting to me because I think Amanda Nunes' grappling is greatly undersold. Like when she's not exhausted like she was in the first fight, she's a phenomenal grappler, especially topside. And other than the arm bar in the fourth, which I admit was, was, looked all right, uh, you know, other than that, none of the other submissions Penny attempted were, one, counted as a submission attempt by fight metric, and two, even remotely close to troubling Nunes. You know what happened after those oodles of failed submission attempts? Pena got elbowed in the face a million times over. So this was just a monstrous beating, and I, su- I suspect that if Pena wasn't already a mass, uh, you know, an underdog again, this classic underdog bias that Rogan especially seems to have. Most other times, when a fight looks like that, you're talking about the corn. We're talking about whether or not the corner should throw in the towel because that wasn't competitive. Yeah, yeah, I was wrong. I need to correct myself. It was in 2009. It was 2012. It was a TKO doctor stoppage. It was conquest of the cage. And believe it or not, Cheesecake Sarah Morris did that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So this was before she got into the tough house. Uh, she lost immediately after that to Deanna Bennett in a unanimous decision loss at a promotion called Showdown Fights. And then she made it into the house after that one. So mm-hmm. she lost okay. back to back, but one of those was a TKO doctor stoppage. I just had the year wrong. I, I thought 2009, but 2009 was actually the year she had her first pro fight. Okay, there we go. So, yeah, for, for Pena, uh, I've, I've got the Sarah GSP vibes out of this fight now because mm-hmm. we've seen – and it's not even that because Sarah put away GSP in the first round. The, the rematch was a, a massive blowout for GSP such that we didn't need to see a third fight. And Sarah had injuries and other things. He didn't fight too much longer after that. But we've seen these two fight now for seven rounds. And Nunes has comfortably won six out of the seven. And there could be a trilogy down the line. No need for an immediate trilogy. But as long as Nunes has her head on straight and she's in good physical condition and everything else... The skill gap between her and Pena is just so wide that Pena will have to rely on on drawing Nunes into some wild ball or some careless mistake in order to win. Like the first fight was really as, as good as it's going to get for her, I would suspect. Yeah. Yeah, but what would be next for Nunes? Because Ketlin Vieira threw her name into the ring saying, uh, hey, I, I want to go uh, – fight Nunes in Brazil too, Brazil versus Brazil, especially since Amanda wants to take time off. She hasn't seen her family in Brazil for so long. Um, The USC wants to go back to Brazil soon, but this is pending a lot of things with the world going on right now. And um, of course, there's always that third Shevchenko fight. And that that right there interests me. It always has. You know that I have spoken on it before. You've spoken on it before. 
it's it's the one that makes sense because Valentina is the one that's legitimately come closest to beating her. Yeah, the second fight yeah. was close. The first one, Shevchenko got right. dominated the first two rounds, but Nunes faded. And then in the third round, Shevchenko came on trauma. It was too late. Right. But the second fight was very close. Mm-hmm. And they've established their dominance even further mm-hmm. over the last several years. And now we've seen Shevchenko look vulnerable yeah. against Tyler Santos. So now the only way this can happen is if Shevchenko goes back up to 135. I don't think that should be an issue. There is no way Nunes can make 125. No, so, no, yeah, no. You, you, you do that at weight, and that's a trilogy I want to see yes. because that is is a battle between two of the greatest to ever do it. For as, as great as Pena's win in the first fight was over Nunes, um, as I said already, the uh, that might have been the one time out of 10 that she beats her. Yes, indeed. And the way she looked in there, let's, let's just get it out there. Her striking was crazy. Those windmills those forward launching windmills were just ridiculous and doing it off of her tippy toes my god woman who was your striking coach oh i forgot <laughs> yeah her striking is abysmal i mean there's no other way to put it yep. other than her 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 kind of rushed in jab which can catch can catch people mm-hmm. off guard i caught nunez off guard a couple of times in their right. fight but her actual i mean that last knockdown or was it the second knockdown where she did like the Anderson Silva Force Griffin deal, just throwing shots. And I don't even know if she's really looking at what she's throwing and then just gets bopped in the head with a massive hook. And I thought that Nunes could have followed her to the ground and, and, and stopped her from there. But goodness, it was so bad looking. And you want to know how big an upset that first fight was? She did a lot of the same stuff in the first fight and it worked. Yeah. But Nunes adjusted by one, switching stances and two, just not getting involved and going strike for strike with Pena and giving her an opportunity to go catch her and hurt her. The first Instead, thing, the first thing though, the stance switching, we, mm-hmm. we, we need to, we need to zero in on that because I feel like that was the biggest and most efficient weapon that Amanda brought into this fight. Holy God, that really threw Juliana off. She didn't know which end was up. Bang, and, and, and into the next stance, and then pop her a couple of times. Bang, switch stances again. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, and she couldn't miss with that right hand in the first mm-hmm. round. Nope. She... And sure enough, the knockdowns came in the second round. Yeah, and I, I'll give Juliana props where they're due. She is amazingly tough i i don't know what kept her up i really don't but she kept going and she kept trying but do i want to see a trilogy no i do not when you've been routed like that we wanted to see the rematch because amanda had been so dominant and it just had that fluke nature to it so of course but when you just get the belt the one time and you immediately lose it and you lose it like this. I don't need to see you get beat down like this again. Yeah, I I don't need to see it either. And for Pena, see, with her, I still think she can beat plenty of of fighters in the women's bantamweight division. But as far as her like becoming champion again, I think a lot would have to go right. And I think she's fortunate that in this division, there are just not too many up-and-comers compared to flyweight and strawweight. So she's going to be hanging around for a while. And her toughness alone will, will make her somebody that's not a lot of fighters are going to have a good time competing against. But for Nunes, she showed why she is the GOAT. 
of, of women's MMA, and, and she did so in dominant fashion. Now, w- what annoys me about the cardio thing with Nunes is it's not meritless that she has issues gassing, mm. but she's gone five rounds plenty of times. Mm-hmm. And she's even had a finish of Raquel Pennington in the fifth round. So all this stuff that DC and Rogan are going on about, you know, Pena is making Nunes work. Okay, that's fine and dandy. Pena needs a finish. Mm-hmm. So it's like you don't get bonus points for making the beating a little more difficult than it, than it <laughs> is. I mean, you're still losing, and you're still losing badly. And Nunes ended up going for a submission late, if, if anything, instead of all the talk about Pena's guard, Nunes – I think if they weren't, if Pena wasn't so bloody, she might have been able to get that choke. Yeah. But instead, she she ends up uh, having to have that neck crank slip off. But still, it, it was just a, a thorough demolition job, and good for Nunes, good for Pena that she doesn't need plastic surgery. I mean, oh my God, it's I just know. stitches. That would have been terrifying to, to think about how bad that beating was. But those elbows are just so slicing. Um, yeah, so that's the main event. Nunes with smaller favorite odds than the last time, able to get it done. Then the co-main event, much more competitive fight. Very good fight. Was the fight of the night, in fact. Brandon Moreno with the liver shot mm-hmm. against uh, Kai Cara France. It was a body kick. And in a round that I thought Cara France was winning, mm-hmm. he ends up getting TKO'd. And Brandon Moreno has presumably set up a fourth fight with Davis and Figueredo. And uh, I tell you what, for as heated as this rivalry has been, and when Figueredo went into the cage, I thought, oh, man, shit's about to pop off like like this is pro wrestling. And then it became pretty respectful. Mm-hmm. Like that was one of the more respectful promos I've ever seen. So uh, thanks to Brandon Moreno's wife and kid at home watching so that Brandon Moreno didn't have to go pop off with anything nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd hate to see him start throwing Legos around and stuff like that. Um, I was so shocked at all of the comments that Joe Rogan made before, though, because heading into UFC 277, he made all these comments that suggested that Davidson Figueredo wasn't really the the flyweight champ, that his heart wasn't into it, and that we weren't going to see him compete for for the belt anymore, that he was going to head up to Bantamweight, and he was done with flyweight. (laughs) And then they come out, they bring him out. Oh, my God. Of course he wants to fight at flyweight. Of course he wants to defend the belt. Are you crazy? What was yeah. going on all night? I mean, listen, I hate to hark back to the the Nunez Pena fight, but to say that Juliana Pena's really really dangerous, really tricky off of her back is a full-faced lie. Okay? She she's had one single submission off of her back, way the hell back. Yeah, I mean they were off all night because I, the the Morales Fugit fight on the prelims they they would not shut up about the idea that Morales was tiring. And guess who got the third round knockout? Yes, I know. Spoiler alert: it was Michael Morales, yeah. and Morales didn't look winded at all. It's like they, especially Rogan. And it creates the worst out of DC, too. They find a narrative in the first round, and st- either pre-fight or in the first round, and stick with it and don't waver from it for the rest of the fight. So e- even with this flyweight thing, Figueredo is going to move up to Bantamweight pretty soon. It's inevitable. But he's been pretty open. He wants to f- finish finish the business at 125. So, you know, that this whole thing with Rogan saying that or, or implying that this was the real title fight and, and saying essentially indicating Figueredo's own 125, that that's just not true. 
Figueredo is going to have at least one more fight at flyweight and then go up to bantamweight. And we want him to have one more fight at flyweight. Hell, I want to have two more fights at flyweight. Right. One, Thank you. Thank you. The, the Moreno fight. Yeah. And if he wins the next title defense, whether immediately after that or after a fight with a bantamweight champion, him against Pantoja yes. because Pantoja came out like a like, like gangbusters, 90 second finish. Mm -hmm. Yes, I need to see that. I mean, I'd be fine to see that before we see a, a Marino trilogy, but we could never do that now that, you know, this interim belt thing has happened. You, you can't do it. You must face off Marino and Figueredo. But man, I just feel like poor Pantoja, this guy can't get a crack at that title. Man, I'm so sad. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? He's unlucky because he was supposed to have fought Figueredo already. Yes. Remember, Pantoja yeah. had a title fight lined up, but he couldn't match with the USC's timeline. I think he had surgery or something. So that's how he got the third Moreno fight. Yeah. And, and as a result, Pantoja's got to take another fight. And Perez, man, that's a terrible way to come back from such a long layoff after a million fight cancellations with Pantoja just going all out to, to, to stop him as soon as possible. And even as a big Pantoja stand, I didn't see that coming. Like no. that was a sick finish to get a standing neck crank. We've seen plenty of standing rear, rear naked chokes, but standing neck cranks, I mean, it, it basically his jaw w w was about to be ripped off. Yeah. It, it was that brutal but the flyweights really showed up whether it was pantoja or moreno and car front the scoring um was interesting for the whole card really but one judge had a 2018 moreno which i think i had that card one judge had it 1919 which i think is more than fair because the first two rounds were close sure. yeah but you could see first at least one round for moreno yes and then another judge had a 2018 car france i don't understand that one <laughs> yeah, so Cara uh, France was clearly winning the third, which means that Cara France, if not for the knockout, would have been up 30-27 on one card after three rounds and then uh, probably 29-28 uh, on the other card and then trailing 29-28 on, on the third card. So he would have been ahead with two rounds to go and Moreno would have needed to win the last two rounds. So, that, that you know, great timing. It's so clear, though, even in defeat, how improved Cara France is. Yeah, indeed. But... I think as long as Marino and Figueredo and possibly Pantoja are around, <laughs> I don't think he, he's going to be wearing a belt. I really don't. Yeah, probably not. It was not a good night for City Kickboxing. They've had plenty of good nights uh, throughout uh, these years, but to have Car France lose and then Blood Diamond lost on the, the prelim opener, I still think that he has potential while also believing he shouldn't be in the UFC right now. Right, right. He's got to shore up his takedown defense like a ASAP because you can't just rely on, on the ability to get up because now he's lost two fights where as soon as it hit the ground, he, he was not able to offer up much. But City Kickboxing will have better days. Car France is a phenomenal fighter. He's just not quite at that level of Moreno right. and Figueredo. But the good news for him, Figueredo is probably going to go up to 135 pretty soon. Not this next fight, hopefully. In fact, he just said on the MMA Hour that he weighs 135 right now. Oh, good. Then, see, yeah, he's within range. I, I don't even worry about that. But, um, you know, somebody put out a tweet <laughs> before the Blood Diamond fight. And I got to point it out. I can't remember the, <clears throat> the person's handle. But he said... 
If Blood Diamond loses tonight, we call him Mike. <laughs> and now, every time you said Blood Diamond, I just kept wanting to say, no, his name is Mike. <laughs> yeah, I think he gets to lose lose the nickname uh, indefinitely until he gets some some wins again. But yeah. anyway, let, let's get back on track. The, um, the the other two fights on the main card, you had Anthony Smith losing to Magomed Ankalaev, and I would think Ankalaev is going to be next in line for a title fight. Yeah. And if not, then you just do him against Jan Blachowicz for for the number one contender, and you have it maybe on the same card as as Glover and Yuri going at it again, but. That fight was shaping up to be a total stinker. And then Anthony Smith decided on, on a bum leg, admittedly, I will make Magomed Ankalaev grapple. And uh, unfortunately for him, that was a very bad idea because Ankalaev, when he's really bothered to do offense, he's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, the ground and pound just had Smith flustered. And uh, I like this post-fight interview, it, it was especially when uh, it was indicated by Smith, uh, wrongfully, thankfully, uh, that he had broken his leg in the first round. And Ankalai went, well, who do you think broke it? Yeah, I love that so much. I even tweeted at, tweeted out how he was like, uh, uh, I am not taking the credit for that. You broke your own leg. <laughs> oh, that made me laugh so hard. You did that to yourself. Smack him in the head. See, you made me do that. So you did that to yourself. <laughs> yep. So um, the other fight on the main card, Derek Lewis and Sergey Pavlovich. Oh, All right, a, li a little uh, secret here. I actually missed this fight live because I was heating up dinner and I figured out enough time <laughs> to prepare my dinner or the kitchen because I'm away from my, my screen and it wouldn't take long. The, the, the buffer intros are going on. So I figured, okay, I can just take, take my food out, you know, put on some salsa and other stuff and then come back inside. And by the time I come back inside in, into my room, the fight's already over. And I've assumed that Lewis has won. Uh, and then I see the replay, and he's very much not won. And there's some controversy over the stoppage. Now, I can see why Dan stopped it because yeah. of the way Lewis fell, his head going towards the canvas. Yeah. But I don't think he was out. And also, just on history, Derek Lewis just does some weird shit when he's hurt. Yeah. And I think that Miragliata could have let that go on a little longer. And given Dan's history, I, th that felt like a massive overcorrection from when he let Shane Carwin pretty much kill Frank Mir. Yeah. Or when he let Jacare inexplicably take two more shots on a way unconscious Chris Weidman. So if Dan is normally one for, for late stoppages, I thought this was a little early. But it, there was also a really good chance the way that that started out that Lewis was probably just going to get stopped on the ground. But at least have it a little more defensive than that uh but still man Derek lewis and texas just don't go together when it comes to him fighting there i told y'all dallas houston doesn't matter yeah you can't put him in austin san antonio nowhere in texas just keep him out of texas entirely i firmly believe there's a little a little voodoo attached there or something bad juju some magic is happening there that is not good for him so please don't book him here anymore. Now, yeah. we we need to move on here because we, we've got this story and, man, I hate this so much. I hate when a fight is booked that it, it frightens me for, for one of the fighters. So Laura Fernandez Bonilla of Eurosport Spain has reported that a fight between 
Edson Barbosa and Ilya Teporia is set for an upcoming UFC fight night that is scheduled to happen on October 29th. So basically a Halloween fight night. This will be happening at the Apex Center in Las Vegas. So this is a, a Vegas fight night. Now, Topuria uh, hinted at this fight earlier this week and has since confirmed it on his social media. Barbosa is 2-2. Two and two in his last four appearances. Now, he snapped a three-fight losing streak with back-to-back -back wins over uh, Makwan Amir Khani and Shane Burgos. Now, Shane Burgos, whew, that, that knockout, man, that kick. Uh, was it a kick or a punch? I just remember it was to the liver. It was the delayed reaction and the way he fell over. My God. It was a temple shot. It was a right hand, and Burgos was on, like, that oh, NBC three-hour tape delay. Yes, that's what it was. Why am I thinking it was liver? I mean, probably because, you know, Edson's got few liver shot TKOs. So, uh, yeah, okay. I just remember it was a real delayed reaction and it was really frightening. But anyways, that was one of the wins that he had there. But then, you know, he follows those up with getting knocked out by Giga Chikadze and he got beat up for all three rounds in, in uh, a fight with Bryce Mitchell. I mean, my goodness. And then you've got Topuria returning to featherweight after a, a little bit of lightweight. He uh, got a performance of the night over Jai Herbert, you know, with a second round knockout. And that, that was just in March. He has unanimous decision wins over Yusef Zalal and uh He's got first round knockouts over Damon Jackson and Ryan Hall. I mean, my God, I just feel like this is, eh, they're ranked number 13 and number 15, but I just think that Tapuria is going to beat him up. I don't like this fight. I don't like it at all. I get it. It's smart matchmaking. It is considering their rankings and this is what you want to do with Tapuria. But man, I don't want to see Barbosa get beat up. Who, who is managing Barboza? Maybe Barboza is just a dude who will never say no. Yeah. But, and this explains his, his illustrious record of opponents that he's fought. But this, this stretch of 10 fights, so I'm going to go back to the Khabib fight from 2017. Okay. Actually, no, I'm going to go further back. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's go to uh, 2015. Okay. Paul Felder, Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, Benil Dariush, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Kevin Lee, Dan Hooker, Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder again, Dan Ige, Makwan Amirkani, Shane Burgos, Giga Chikadze, Bryce Mitchell. Makwan Amirkani is the worst fighter of the 14 people that I've just listed. Jesus. I mean, God, that, what a terrifying row of people to have to go through. Yep. So um, he's going to get starched. I mean, there's really no no two ways about it at this point. Now, I, I, the only worry I have for Topuri is that he got tuned up a bit by Jai Herbert in his last fight. Mm -hmm. And Edson is a much, much better striker. But Taporia can wrestle. And if Barboza can't deal with Taporia's takedowns, then he might just get pounded out on the mat. But Barboza's taken so much punishment, not so much in the Mitchell fights where it was more of just a, a 
getting thoroughly out grappled, but like Chikadze schooled him. And even in his wins, like Burgos, he, he was going strike for strike with him. It's just, he, he's, he's taken too much punishment. And I feel like Taporia is just going to absolutely lay him out with a big shot. It's not like his chin is as notoriously iron. I don't like this fight either because I just want to see Edson take on another Amir Khani type fighter. I want him to to go outside the top 15, top 20 even, yeah. just so he can get uh, another win or just style on somebody like title contention, all that stuff. That's in the past now. I just want to see him go go work some fools. I I wonder. I don't like where... seeing him being used as a stepping stone. <laughs> this is three fights in a row where he's kind of like the all right. If you beat Edson Barboza, you're a contender. And I wonder where he's at in his contract too, because I just feel like they're they're setting up these super tough people in an effort to maybe get them on out of there. I don't know, man. I just hate this fight so much. I just ugh, don't. Like this is it. the fourth fight on a six fight deal, so he's still got a few left. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe he is the stepping stone guy, and you know if he. If he keeps him out, well, escalator engaged, hopefully. Yeah, but at the moment, uh, as the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. I mean, it looked good against Burgos, but these last two fights, he's pretty much opened the door and, and, and just gladly let them in. No security check or anything. I wonder Didn't... what that Burgos win is going to look like in two years, though. Yeah, with the way Burgos is That's fighting. That's what I mean. Burgos, good lord! I mean, he's been gifted decisions, and golly, he didn't look so great in this last fight. I'm sorry, I thought Jordan won, but uh, I'm getting aside from the the issue here. But I I, I do wonder how that's going to hold up in two years. That's all. Yeah, um, but we'll, again, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes with yeah. Barboza and how much he has to to offer. Burgos, he might be on a two-fight winning streak, but as you said, that Jordan fight, I don't think should have gone to him. And you can't take 100-plus significant strikes or a fight, most of them headshots, without it coming back around and turning into ugly knockout losses at some point. Yeah. Like no some, yeah, Eventually, we've seen too many fighters in boxing and MMA and kickboxing. Their toughness becomes their worst enemy down the line. Indeed. Man, I just don't like this fight at all. I don't like yep. it. But you know what I do like? The fact that I don't have to cover that Jake Paul Circus shit this weekend. Uh, because yeah. we got a UFC card on Saturday. I know it's not a very good UFC card. But if, I, if I'm if i given the choice to cover two things on Saturday night, I know I wouldn't want to be covering the boxing. But I'm the only boxing writer on the staff at the moment. So I would have been covering this nonsense. Jake Paul versus Hasim Rotman Jr. is off, ladies and gentlemen. It was dropped on Saturday night in the middle of UFC 277. So, yeah, one pay-per-view going on. And at the same time, another pay-per-view got canceled, baby. So uh, what, what's the deal here? Well, it's overweight. More specifically, Rotman's weight. So as read in the – as I'm reading off the statement from Most Valuable Promotions, on July the 5th, Hasim Rotman Jr. signed a bout agreement to fight Jake Paul on August 6th at a maximum weight of 200 pounds. At the time of signing, Rotman provided evidence of his weight to give comfort to most valuable promotions and the New York State Athletic Commission that he would not be losing more than 10% of his weight over the four weeks leading up to the fight. Since weighing in at 216 pounds on July 7th, Rotman and his camp have offered assurance after assurance publicly and privately he was on track to make weight at the weigh-in on August 5th, going as far as to provide a letter signed by a recognized nutritionist that his weight cut was progressing without issue per the Athletic Commission's required weekly weight checks. 
Uh, in the last 48 hours, it has become clear these assurances were not made in good faith. So blah, blah, blah. They, they commission said they wouldn't sanction this fight at less than 205 pounds, which would be a career low weight for Rotman, by the way. His lowest weight is 211. But Paul was prepared to move forward with the fight at this new weight. A new contract was sent to Rotman's promoter reflecting a 205 limit, imposing strict penalties should he fail to make weight. So Saturday morning comes. Rotman's camp indicated for the very first time he planned to weigh 215 at the official weigh and it would not agree to 205 and informed uh, the promotion, most valuable pro- promotions, that is. They are pulling out of the fight unless the fight was agreed to a 215. So uh, because of this development, M- uh, MVP decided to scrap the card altogether. Uh, so that means that Amanda Serrano won't be competing, neither will prospect Brandon Lee. Uh, so the whole pay-per-view is gone. There's nothing at Madison Square Garden this weekend. And uh, we, we had Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, and then that hit a snag. We had Jake Paul versus Asim Rotman, and that sunk the battleship. Now, Rotman is saying that, hey, it's, it's Paul's fault, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's just a mudslinging thing. I am inclined to say that this is on Rotman mm-hmm. because you signed the contract, buddy, and you're the one getting the career payday, not Jake Paul. But... As much as Dana White might be taking jabs at Paul all the time and Paul is taking jabs at him, I don't think it is completely out of the realm of possibility mm-hmm. that this event was canceled because the tickets weren't moving. Because Asim Rotman is a name that people in Jake Paul's demographic would not know. Right. They wouldn't know his father. So Junior is a non-entity in the boxing world anyway. But uh, I, I have a major doubts that this fight was going to sell well. So I'm not complaining that this fight is canceled. I feel sorry for the fighters on the undercard who aren't getting paid. Yeah. Uh, but I don't feel sorry that the event itself is gone. And maybe if there's any benefit for Jake Paul, it's that once Nate Diaz is done with the Hamzat fight, he can zero back, back in on MMA fighters instead of uh, boxers. Yeah, because everybody knows, knows who Nate Diaz is. And I think that that's a fight that would sell tickets like wildfire. Yeah, or Anderson Silva, but I don't think he wants that unless yeah. until Anderson is like 60. Yeah, he don't want that smoke. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a lot different. Anderson Silva is a much, much better boxer than Nate Diaz. So sorry to upset the Diaz contingent, but it's true. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's the problem with the Jake Paul and this particular event is even if he might have overplayed his hand as far as how popular he is or how popular he is, ab- you know, absent a, a really strong B-side. Like the MMA community kind of pushed this with, with the Askren fight. And even then, that wasn't in, in front of a, a, a crowd, was it? Oh, yeah, it was. I think like a select crowd in Atlanta, but there were still COVID restrictions. But the fights with Woodley, they were in front of a crowd and they mm-hmm. sold very well, yeah. at least at the box office in terms of ticket sales, not necessarily pay-per-view buys. Rotman Jr., I mean, that's really just Paul's contingent. And there's no Asim Rotman Jr. bandwagon, so to speak. Probably none for Tommy Fury either, if we're being honest, because he's been boxing absolute nobodies as well just like Rotman Jr. Even Rotman Jr. even Rotman Sr. said uh, at the press conference that his son has underprepared and underperformed in every fight of his career which man that's cold it, it that's almost makes you think really that Rotman Sr. was ready to say man I regret carrying on the family name in this guy. you right that was super harsh I saw that I was like god 
Yeah. And, and you know what was funny? I wrote up the story on Saturday afternoon before the fight got canceled that Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the WBC, was going to give Jake Paul a ranking yes. oh if Paul God. had won. And my, um, my deck for the, the article just LOL. I mean, there, there was no other appropriate response than just to, to, to mock the stupidity and corrupt, the, the corruption of, of these sanctioning bodies. But mm-hmm. now it doesn't happen. It's not happening anymore. And Jake Paul has never weighed above 191, I believe. So it would be unreasonable for any boxing match to say, all right, I can't make this weight. Can you come up 24 pounds and come to a contractual agreement? No. So Rotman can piss off. He's fumbled the bag here. Yeah. Uh, so I think two things can be true. This card wouldn't have sold well. Rob unscrewed up a career payday. Right. I can I can agree with that 100%. So uh, we don't have to deal with that circus for now. I, I'm sure that Paul will, will try and create something else. And you don't have to shell out pay-per-view money for some reason. Or you don't have to uh, be a pirate for another weekend and, and watch really a, a fight that's going to be of the lowest quality but we'll, we'll see if it's september or october later on in the year because the dates matter to showtime too like showtime just can't create dates they, they've got their own budget to, to and scheduling to figure out when they're going to have fights but i think that jake paul will try and get the nate diaz boxing match because diaz if he's cutting to 170 now he can make a 190 catch weight yeah i could i point out one thing though uh logan paul wrestling he's a good wrestler i ain't gonna lie i watched it and he's a good wrestler i am so impressed i cannot get over that at uh SummerSlam, right yes he's good yeah well that, that, that's good to hear because i saw a lot of positive reaction to him and then eventually it's it, because wrestling is so big on, on winning the crowd over mm-hmm. and apparently he won the crowd over in yeah. the end with, with with his performance yeah he's really good i'm i was blown away by it very very good well that that is good to know because i sure should don't want to see him box yeah so if he can do the fake stuff yeah. the, the choreographed stuff like like more power to him he, he can be a name for wwe and uh they certainly need some names, and they certainly need a lot of good publicity, given what's going on with Vince McMahon over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. It's totally normal to resign <laughs> after all your years at WWE through a tweet on Friday afternoon. It's also really, really normal to pe- shell out millions and millions in hush money to all the women that you're boning in behind your wife's back. The, the most normal retirement we've ever seen from a guy who I believe said uh, he was going to be there for life until they would put him in the grave. No, well, let's let's not forget the most unique aspect of this whole thing is that his wife, in reality, was a Trump cabinet member. Oh, my God. I mean, the, the story couldn't get any weirder. <laughs> well, I, I got to go back to the Rotman story. Rotman said, excuse me, in a statement, it was uh, a, a conference call on Sunday evening. He said, I can make 205 Friday and knock Jake Paul out on Saturday. That's never been an issue. The issue was them coming in and giving all these demands from the jump. They've been trying to railroad it from the jump. Well, we're going to have to ask the commission. And I say we, I mean, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I don't want to go further this story. But if the commission is, is going with the weekly weight checks, then this seems legit that Rotman wasn't going to be able to make the weight. I think so, too. And according to Jake's statement, there were supposed to be agreed upon check. And 
Rockman tweeted out early on when this first happened, because he's just been a tweet storming machine since. But if you go to the day that it happened, he makes a tweet. He says, I, uh, you know, according to the contract, he directly referenced the contract. I mean, he, he basically said, yeah, I know I didn't weigh in, but the, the stupid contract says, and I mean, he he boldly admitted it right there. It's not. There's no question that he didn't agree. He didn't follow through with whatever was in the contract. We just don't know the extent of his non-follow through. Basically, <laughs> yeah. is what I'm saying. Ah, uh, what a circus! We we went from one unserious boxer to another unserious boxer. Yeah. So maybe the solution is to go back to the MMA fighters until further notice because the thing with novelty fights is the novelty tends to wear off and jake is gonna have to really buckle down and and find a fight that's not gonna fall through because eventually the, he's gonna be the pullout merchant or the pullout king regardless of if it's his fault or not it's just everything that he sets up is falling through yep it's not a good look to have right. a Madison Square Garden date, the big room, not right. not the basement Hulu theater, and, and have it fall apart on you on the week before the event because that's money losing. Yes, you're not you're not going to get that money back. All the people who booked hotel rooms and all that, I mean, they can enjoy New York City for the rest of the week while they're there. Otherwise, they you know they're going to have to refund their money too. But for Jake Paul, his promotion just lost a few. Lost a few bucks, more than a few bucks, to put it mildly. And for Amanda it, Serrano, a big name like that, that's got to suck for her. And she's not getting any younger. She needs to strike while the iron is hot. You know, I know she took a loss, but that was a, a tremendous fight. Probably the most important fight in women's boxing history. She needs to get going here. And that greatly affected her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting next few months because we look at it from Serrano's side. She's been very um, happy with, with her time with Jake Paul's promotion, and that's that's good to see. She got a seven-figure payday out of the Taylor fight. But if Jake Paul's act ends up uh, drying up, if the well dries up, where does that leave Amanda Serrano? Yeah. Because you, you she could always go to another promotion after that, depending on how that goes. But um I would hope that that can get sorted out and we can see Serrano back in the ring as soon as possible, after which we could hopefully see her rematch Taylor next year. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's move on to some other stuff that uh, happened over the weekend. There was a brutal knockout on this rising card. Remember Daiche Abe? Yeah. He was in the UFC, and he yes. fought uh, Marcos Yoshio Souza, rather, and he wiped him out with a right hand from hell. I mean, his body twisted. He, he, he was almost in a pretzel form. But then he followed it up with a soccer kick after he was pretty much already unconscious. The ref couldn't make it there in time. But that's the that's a knockout of the weekend for me. Yeah. But the, the second part is the debate over soccer kicks, which we know are legal in Ryzen. I, I'm conflicted about soccer kicks because when I see that on an already unconscious opponent, that does make me cringe a bit. Yeah. Um, and I can understand why athletic commissions here and around the world tend not to legalize them. I can understand it too, but boy, it, it makes the the little violent tendencies in me just dance and, and shout. <laughs> 
that my internal little devil is over here battling the angel on the other side and oh my goodness i just love it uh, i saw that and i was like Wee! and then i just looked around to see if anybody was watching <laughs> mind you i'm here by myself at the moment <laughs> but i really dug that yeah, I remember um, Jose Aldo had a had a soccer kick win very early in his career, and boy, imagine Prime Aldo in like mm. the WEC in the early oh. parts of his UFC career with soccer kicks. That would be unfair. That would get get the move illegal, rendered illegal. Just the Jose Aldo rule. He yeah. kicks too hard. Yes. Him and Edson Barboza. Yes. Like the two of them doing soccer kicks on on people who are already hurt or, or out. That would just be too much to bear. So I think I'm at the point where if they kept soccer kicks illegal, uh, you know, in just within the U.S. and North America and, and the, the unified rules of MMA, I'd be fine with it. I am more supportive, though. In fact, 100 percent in favor of strikes to the head of a down opponent, meaning the knees to the head of a down yeah. opponent. Sure, sure. I like that, too. But still, I don't mind seeing a good soccer kick knock out every once in a while, even if it's in the fashion that we just talked about here where the guy was down and it just seemed um he just looked like he was in motion and wanted to make sure he got the job done yeah it, it's a just make sure like it, and the referee was wasn't really at fault he got there he just missed by a split second yeah um but and luckily Souza is fine um so you know what else happened there was a boxing card and I'm not talking about the Showtime one with Danny Garcia winning uh, up at 154. I'm talking about Iranian Hulk against uh, Kazakh Titan. Yeah, that, that was definitely a thing. So if you don't know the story about Iranian Hulk, he has been catfishing people. And he, he constantly posts pics on social media where he looks like this, this super jacked 385-pound beast. And uh, he, he's been teasing fighting at MMA or going into boxing for, for years now, and it's never happened. And you go, you wonder why? I mean, it looks so suspicious the way that his head and his body don't seem to match up well. And then he takes on Kazakh Titan in this boxing match. And Iranian Hulk um, is not in shape. He can't box. And if you see the video from uh, at Bowl Beer Brawl, and that's Bowl underscore Beer underscore Brawl, it is some of the saddest shit you will ever see. The right hand that he threw, it looks like he can barely move his arm. And sure enough, Kazakh Titan eventually stopped him. But that was so cringe. Even for this wacky combat sports world, like, man, I almost feel sorry for the guy. Yeah. And I saw some articles in the lead up to this that is his own parents have basically disowned him. Oh, man, this guy. Ooh. Seems like he set himself up for this failure in life, though. Yeah, just the, the catfishing is one thing, but I feel like there, there should have been a better payoff than this. Yeah. I mean, this was just so awful. And the punches were, of course, going to be in slow motion. It's two, and Kazakh Titan ain't no Titan either. 
I mean, we're, we're, we're getting very loose with that definition. <laughs> he ain't going to be in the Tennessee Titans. He, he is no, not going to be in Titan FC. The Titans should not be associated with him whatsoever. But at least he got a knockout win. Mookie's, and, Mookie's over here. Don't even read about Titans. Don't say the word Titans. <laughs> oh yeah, not, none of that is happening. Um, a little bit of breaking news here because I don't want to talk about this much longer. James Krause, who uh, I can't remember who was coaching. Was he coaching Brandon Moreno? I think yes. he was. Yes, he was. I, so I he's got a USC moment. champion, an interim champion. Yes. And he just went on the MMA hour and he says, I can tell you with almost 100% confidence, you guys will probably never see me fight again. And then he said, F it, you're never going to see me fight again. So uh, MMA retirements tend not to stick. But yeah. James Krause is a very savvy businessman. We've interviewed him before. He's got a, an excellent gig, not even a gig, a job, full-on job as a coach, and he's a damn good one at that. So I guess his days competing in the octagon are over. Yeah, I saw this um, this little video clip of Moreno at the post-fight uh, presser Saturday night, and he was talking about how uh, comfortable he was with with James and who's really talking James up. And I love that pairing. I mean, James is the best kept secret in coaching in MMA right now, I think. He's a damn good coach. His corner advice is top notch. Ain't it crazy somebody's retiring off a win, albeit we're approaching two years now. But as somebody won seven of his last eight, and that one loss, he took that Trevin Giles final like two minutes notice out of his weight class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just and he, dude yeah, it was a awesome. split decision too. Yeah, dude is just awesome. Yeah, he he really is awesome. So happy retirement to James uh, in terms of his fighting, but we know we're going to see him plenty as, as far as cornering some of the best fighters in the world and certainly on the UFC roster. You know, it was also cool in terms of, of cornering stuff that Bud Crawford was at 277. I know. And coaching up um, uh, Drew Dober because they're both Nebraskans. Yeah. And Dober shouted him out in the post-fight interview saying that the, the, the left to the body was there against uh, Rafael Alves, and that's exactly what he finished him with, that shot to the solar plexus. Mm -hmm. And it had Alves. You, Alves was doing that, that fancy-ass fancy ass dance at the end of the second <laughs> round that had me laughing. Well, he wasn't laughing. He, he wasn't going to laugh or dance in the third round. No, no, That no. froze him up. Drew Dober just seems like a solid dude, too. Yeah. I. You know what? Man, that was a good fight. That was a really good fight. That was probably going to be fight of the night before Moreno yeah, and Carl right? France stole everybody's thunder. I'm telling you, but that was a good fight. I loved it. Yes, it was awesome. Drew Dober is awesome. And the fact that he says he turns down fights that he doesn't think will be exciting, well, it makes sense because all the fights he's been in, I can't think of a boring Drew Dober fight. And when you're training with Gaethje and Usman and all these dudes at Team Elevation, like that, that, that that's as tough a camp as you can get. Mm -hmm. And you damn well better believe you're going to be sharp, sharp with your striking. I mean, iron sharpens iron, and that's a camp. Boy, if you want to sharpen your iron, that's to, that's the place. Yeah. They're I, in ATT. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I will always be loyal to ATT, but, man, I like Trevor Whitman's camp. Yep. I couldn't help but notice that Crawford did get some booze, and it occurred to me that that was in Dallas, and that's Errol Spence yeah. country. It sure is. Yeah, I was wondering why he didn't get as big a pop. I mean, because, of course, Mike Tyson's next to him, and everybody knows Mike Tyson. But even if you're not a big boxing fan, you probably know who Terrence Crawford is. 
and going into Spence country like that, I know he's going to get get a reaction. So just make that damn fight already. It's August. Hopefully that fight can be made in October, November. It doesn't seem like there are any roadblocks. Espinosa of, of Showtime seems confident that the fight will get made. So just make the fight happen. And uh, I, you know what? I hope that we get some audio if Cropper was was given Dober some corner advice. I hope that the UFC might have been filming that. Indeed. Me too. <laughs> yeah, that was absolutely cool. On a, What was largely a cool card. I mean, the, the, the prelims, I don't think, were, were f- fantastic. They, they were bad, but they, they weren't anything outstanding. But the main card, in large part, delivered. So 277 got us back on track after that pretty dreadful London show. But... We still had our customary injury, right, with Anthony Smith. We don't know what he, what injury he has specifically, but at least we didn't have another main event where somebody broke something or had their shoulder thrown out the first round. Yes, man. Phew. Crisis so the streak, averted. The streak stops at two. <laughs> no, I, I do, I do gotta. <laughs> I do got to go back back to the Amanda Nunes, uh, Juliana Pena fight one last time, just to say one tiny little thing. Those ovaries are pretty big. That's all I got to <laughs> say. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Pena said all those things, and it's as cringe as she is, almost Suhudo-esque. Uh, it didn't. It didn't really work out. No, it didn't. But <laughs> props and much credit. Big salute to her toughness, though. I will give her that. Mm-hmm. You know, today is August first for us. We're recording on a Monday, and this is the seven-year anniversary of UFC 190, which means it's the anniversary of Ronda Rousey's last win over Betch Cohea, whom Phil McKenzie said. It's a good thing Amanda Nunes never fought a prime Betch Cohea. Said that on heavy hands. He tweeted it out. And who am I to disagree with Phil, really? And then the second bit, it's also the last time Antonio Bigfoot Silva has won a fight. Wow. That's when he knocked out Soa Pillele. Man. Good Lord. Seven years ago, Obama was president. Obama was president. Trump wasn't even the Republican nominee yet. Good Lord. Yep, that was that like four-hour pay-per-view mm. when they had the two tough Brazil finals on it too. Yeah, and it just dragged the card until two in the morning. So I was still living in New York, and I had to do a radio bit afterward. I mean, it, it was as exhausting as can be. I'm glad they don't do the four-hour seven-fight main card stuff anymore. Yeah, me too. Woo. Uh, all right. So on that note, that's it for this week's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Steffi at Crooklyn MMA, and the show at Mookie and Crookie. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Mookie, letter N, then Crookie. Don't forget, you can listen to me and Steffi alongside Victor Rodriguez on the Level Change podcast on Fridays. We'll make our UFC Vegas 59 picks and more in that episode. Steffi's on Care Don't Care with Eugene S. Robinson and John Nash on Mondays. Um, UFC Vegas 59, not exactly the best offering the UFC has. It's got the two tough finals. I'll watch Muhammad Usman to see if he's got any chops similar to his brother. Uh, but I, I think the three cares you all have seems about right. Yeah. <laughs> Terrence McKinney should be on the main card over. No, don't, don't, don't give me a Augusto Sakai Sergei Spivak fight or, or even Lipsky Cachoeira. Give me McKinney should be on the main card at all times. Yes, he should. Agreed. Yep. And of course, we are treated to another Sam Alvey fight. Oh, my God. 
I think I might make us pick that fight. <laughs> it's I'll almost like a free you. space on the bingo card the way Albie's fights have been going. Oh my god, you better not. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you you can probably figure out the three fights that uh, that the uh, the trio the care don't care trio cared about. And spoiler alert, it definitely wasn't any of the tough finals. Nope. Um, at least Team Pena is going to have at least one champion because I think uh, Palga and Usman are both Team Pena. But um, Walker is his Team Nunez. So I might have no choice as far as analyzing but to actually watch tough and watch the fights. But I'm only going to watch the fights. Like, has anybody genuinely been watching tough, like, from minute one to the end or just watching the fights or even watching it all? I don't know anybody. I never see any buzz about it at all. I see buzz whenever the Contender Series is on, but I never see buzz about Tough. Yeah, we don't need Tough when Contender Series exists, and hopefully this Contender Series has more than one fighter performing well enough to get a contract, or else Dana's going to just absolutely bust up. He, he, he's going to be pissed again. Mm-hmm. I mean, he gave that speech last week, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was upset. That is not a way to start a season premiere with somebody missing weight by ten pounds, and then only one out of the four fights ends with chaos. Though I really do, I I root for chaos. That was awesome. Let it happen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully they don't swing the other way, and we do see a little more strictness as as far as who they actually let in off of contender series. Because I feel like these last couple of seasons they've been signing way too many people who are not UFC ready as opposed to those first couple of seasons where they largely nailed it on. Yeah, yeah. And you know that they've nailed on Jamal Hill because he he's <laughs> on this weekend's card, and uh, he's from Contender Series 2, and I very much look forward to that fight. Certainly not a lot else from UFC Vegas 59. If you want to know where else you can find Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts, including this show and Care Don't Care, just wait till the very end. You'll get the full list in the pre-recorded outro. So until next time, please take care of yourselves. Join us again for the next show. And Bill Russell... Rest in peace, you legend. Yes, and Michelle Nichols, too. Mm-hmm. Yes, 89 years old and 88 years old. Life's lived incredibly well. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Brooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>